welcome, travelers, to this episode of Dice and Dish. I'm Foxfire, and I'm joined by my co-host, Erica Nerdy Yogi, and Sparks Valentine. Hi. All right, we've got some interesting topics to discuss today. I'll give it to Nerdy Yogi. What topic are we starting with? Let's see. We're starting with Fox's topic. Ah, it's a topic near and dear to my heart for sure. Homebrew versus module. So my idea for this, what do you prefer to run and what do you prefer to play? So for me personally, I like playing either, but I have in the past had much more fun playing homebrew campaigns and running homebrew campaign. There's just, it feels like there's more you can do with it and more options for your character when you're a player, as opposed to modules where it can at times feel like you're just on a railroad, for lack of a better way to put it. And with homebrew, even if you are on a railroad to me, it feels like you just have options. The world to me feels more alive. Thoughts? Are you amigo or you wanna go? You can go. Okay. Um so I made a pros and con list because I'm a list person. So here we go. Homebrew. In order to do homebrew well, you have to be creative as a DM because you have to create a world, monsters, NPCs. So if you stuck at that, buy a module. You also need to be an experienced DM in order to manage it to keep track of all your locations, NPCs, what's allowed in your world and what's not. Um, homebrew is great for one shots as a place to begin if you're new to world building. If you want to build your world slowly, and then, you know, the experience of the PCs, I feel like when you play in homebrew, and this is just for me, with modules, like, you can experience them differently. Like, some people will flavor modules and do homebrew with modules, and that way you do get a different experience versus the table next to you who is running a module. But I feel like overall, in the homebrew games I played in, I feel like they're more of a unique experience than a module ever is. And that's just me. I agree with what you said, Fox. It does sometimes feel railroady because you know you you know what you you're on track to do X, Y, and Z, and if you and then you have to do that next with homebrew. If the player's like, well, we don't want to do that. We're going to go do something else. Then that person as the DM needs to be experienced to be able to handle that and come up with stuff on the fly because you don't have a module to fall back on. So there's that. Um, with modules, you have to think about the investment financially. Uh, they're good for cons to like take little dungeons out of and run. Pacing can be an issue because, in my opinion, if you're especially talking about 5e, then, like, Curse of Strahd can take you anywhere from six months to a year and a half. That's a big commitment. Um, so that's also something to consider. If you're talking about more DCC or Morkborg, more of your OSRs, their modules are shorter. They're about 20 pages or so. Some of them are one-page dungeons. Great for one-shots. 
Mega Dungeons is a whole other topic when it comes to modules. Um, you get something like Stone, Stone Hell, the Mega Dungeon. I'm pretty sure that's right. If not, you can drag me in the comments below. Um, but I heard people talk about they played that during COVID several hours a week, and it still took them a year to a year and a half to get through that. So that's my thoughts on homebrew versus modules. Um, there's lots of pros and cons to them. I feel like the homebrew, if you don't have a, t if you are unsure about playing in a game and you don't want to commit six months to a year of your life, don't commit to a module because you will probably drop out mid mid module and then it's going to mess with your party dynamics. It's an investment. So I just keep that in mind. Yeah, much on to the notes that Erica said uh, with homebrew versus module. Homebrew, you kind of have a little bit more freedom. You have creative freedom, basically, with homebrew. You create everything. You create your world. You create your cities. You create your NPCs that you want. Yes, you could take things from other places, but you're going to have your... It's yours. Like, you are going to make it your own, basically. You make everything your own. With a module, it is more clean cut and it is more, this is, they lay it out for you. Every page. They do this, turn to this page. It's, it is more railroady. 100% with a module. Now, you can take a module and you can stray a little bit from it and not follow everything that the module is going for and doing. But... With that, you run the risk of not being able... You could go so far off track of the module that it's going to be hard to kind of get brought back into it. Personally, I do like the homebrew aspect of like a world, <clears throat> somebody creating it. But it is kind of nice if you just want to be brain dead and just, you know, just run through stabby stabby if you want more your base... Kind of goes back to that base combat or role play. Which one would you rather have? If you want more combat, go for a module because it's going to have planned combat. It's going to have planned of this. And it's more of you go from point A to point B and you fight something along the way and you fight something when you get there. So with homebrew, you have a little bit more deviation from that. You could spend, you know, you could go from point A to point B and you can have role play encounters. You can have something catches your eye along the way and you decide to go towards that. Sorry, our little demon mascot is just going across the screen there. Apologies. Zagris the Great and Powerful desires love. Yes. Oh. I, personally, I would prefer to play in a more homebrew world, though. Just because it gives that freedom of being able to roleplay, make your character fit more into the world you could also with homebrew when you're a player you can work with your dm and you can help build the area where your character is from maybe you help build the community and yeah that's kind of my my take on homebrew versus module so and to add to it as somebody who's both run and played in both types I can honestly say that I've never run a module straight at. 
I've always added something to it, um, which mainly the module that I've personally run was Horde of the Dragon Queen for 5e. And that module is... It's one of the older ones, and it's a very dry module if you don't add things in. And they do things a little bit strangely, especially for the early levels. So I've always found it better, because I've tried running that a couple of times, to add in your own things, even if the module doesn't say to do so. For one, your players are going to enjoy it better, and for two, you as the DM are going to enjoy it better, rather than just sticking with the book. Because the book itself can be pretty dry. And as far as homebrew, um, unpopular opinion, I'm the type of DM that I don't write everything down. I write down the bare minimum of what I need to know, and I improvise the rest of it. Because I have learned on the rare instances that I do actually make a full-on plan, it usually gets wrecked for a homebrew world. So I find it best to just make that general plan and improvise based on what your players do. But it goes back to what Erica said is you have to know your world and you have to be prepared for anything the players are going to do because otherwise you're going to end up lost. Um, I'm going to say like four little, quick little things. Uh, this is stuff that I forgot to say. Uh, for somebody like me who has bad memory, so I forgot, uh, modules can be overwhelming they're very long. There's a lot of information in them. I'm talking strictly like 5e. I've never played Pathfinder modules. I cannot speak to those. I personally do not like running 5e modules. They're too big. There's too much information. There's too many NPCs that have bullshit names. I can't say. No one else can. Why they do that, I don't know. Um, so that's something to take into consideration. Uh, what I would recommend when it comes to modules, if you like DCC, no small... Adventures in Lankmar is my favorite one. I've been running DCC modules now a year, and that's my favorite one we've gone through. For Morkboard, Graves Left Waiting is my favorite one. Um, it is a, you, your group has been TPK'd. You wake up in your grave, and you have to get out, and you go from there. So your party's already died. And you rise. And that's not a spoiler. It's literally in the first, like, if you read the description of the adventure, and it's like a one-shot. Both of these can be played in a session, which is great if you don't have a time commitment to sign away a year of your life. And But if you want to sign away a year, year of life, then check out Temple of Elemental Evil. It is. Um, it was first made by TSR, and D uh, Goodman Games has brought it to nowadays so if you're not wanting to play like a advanced D&D system and you want something that's a little more current system you can look at Goodman Games they've done Temple of Elemental Evil and that's considered one of the best modules of all time hmm. that's Sounds all I have like to say something that uh, if you guys want to you know see us play that get us up to uh, you know a few it's a dungeon crawl you would like well, it you know i will sacrifice <laughs> you know what i will also sacrifice i will and sacrifice you know, you know as well as i, I mean, do that we will role play the crud out of that dungeon crawl and that's We've the thing right like anything anything can be a dungeon crawl anything can be a role play slash dungeon crawl like you can make stuff appeal to your table 
if as a game master, you look at your people at your table and it, I personally think it's your responsibility to be like, I know this person likes this, this person likes that. You take your model or your homebrew world, whatever you're running, you add elements that appeal to each player and that will make them be more intrigued. So like for somebody, like I said, like Fox and Sparks, that is a traditional dungeon crawl, um, like Tomb Annihilation, um, Tomb Horror, something like that. Like adding role play is going to make them care a little bit more than just the standard I mean, I remember so, when, we did, when we did Tomb of Horrors, it was just me and Fox. Yeah, that was still pretty yeah. fun. Not supposed to have a lot of role play in me and Fox over here, like, mm. role playing <laughs> the crap out of y'all, it. Yeah. Y'all role played with each other, which is exactly. great. You know, I didn't have to, I, I gave y'all a little bit to bounce off of, but y'all, but some people won't do that. You know yeah. what I mean? Like they won't bounce off each other. You as a ge- game master, you have to help them do that. Yeah, that's true. But get us to like, what, what would you say? Like a hundred people on the YouTube? No, 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 no. Oh God. Don't make promises. Why? We can't keep, <laughs> we can definitely keep that promise. It would be fun. Get a hundred. We get a hundred okay. subscribers on YouTube and we'll record an episode of us playing. Okay. Okay, but if we're going to do it, then we're doing it right. Okay. We're going TSR. Okay. All right. We're going OG. All right. Okay. Well, maybe right, maybe cool. we can get some maybe we get some fine people to join us on here as well, so Maybe, maybe. maybe. All right, that's fine. Maybe. Okay. So 100 subscribers you that, on YouTube. You write that down. Write that down. Hundred <laughs> subscribers on YouTube. I'm adding it to the Google Drive now. So, uh, is that your last point on Fox's topic, Erica? Or do you have any more? I have nothing else to say. Nope, I'm good. Okay. Foxfire, it's your topic. You got anything else you want to say before we move on? I mean, I think we've pretty well covered it. Erica, roll that dice. Our next topic is homebrew versus raw. Rules is written. So I'm going to let the other two give their thoughts, and I'm going to go last since this is my topic. Uh huh. Who wants to give their information on this topic? Well, I'll go ahead. Continuing on the same vein as the last topic, um, I am a rule of cool DM. If it sounds cool and it's plausible, I'm probably going to let you do it regardless of rules as written. Uh, In my current campaign, I have a player who's playing a gnome. They watched Critical Role, the animated series, and they saw something that Scanlan did, um, which is not really a spoiler because he does it a lot with Mage Hand. And I said, you know what? Yeah, that's that's fine. You can do that. Scanlan's for those who know 5e rules for Mage Hand, there is a limit to how much it can carry, and I want to say it's 10 pounds. And a gnome at its smallest is going to weigh more than 10 pounds. So very much not something the spell is supposed to allow. But it's fun, and it's something that makes the gnome happy when she does get to cast it. Because, um, you know, tiny legs and whatnot. And they're a spellcaster, so they don't want to be in the thick of it, so to say. So it gives them some options when there's not necessarily cover around. So funny thing, that spell is not actually Mage Hand. 
It's Big B. It's Bixby's big hand. Bigby's Big, uh, Bigby's hand. They just Scanlan's hand. Ah, uh, so see, yeah. I didn't know that because I've only yeah. watched the animated series, and I just made the assumption that it was a rule of cool thing. A lot uh, of the stuff they did in that was rule of cool. Trust me. <laughs> trust, well, trust. the more you know, yeah. the, the more, more you know. You but regardless, know. I allowed that because it's fun. And it is fun. And it does not really intrude in the game very much at all. No. Except for one cinematic thing I wanted to do. And co she completely avoided taking any damage from it. But that's fine. That's what a DM should do is to play around things like that. Even if they create the problem themselves. Make it fun. Exactly. And it's not to say playing rules as written can't be fun. I mean, no. Tabletop gaming is inherently fun if you like the system. But sometimes rules as written might be a little bit dry. Yeah. Thought sparks? I will say, depending on... It honestly it depends on the person. It depends on how they are going to I don't want to say react but that's kind of that's kind of what it is so with rules is written if you're going to make something that is going to have limitations like you can only have these classes you can only have these races you can only do these things and then it gets to certain other aspects of it and then it's like, oh, well, that's fine. But if you're not going to be a, rule, a rules lawyer for everything, then don't be a rules lawyer at all. Because if you're going to let some things slide, but then not let others slide, that's kind of in the same vein. Then it's one of those, it's like, Meh, I don't know. It's one of the, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Agreed. But with homebrew rules, depending on the homebrew rule, it's everybody's discretion. You may not like, well, how in our campaign that we're doing right now, it's deadly. We made it a rule that you get one death save and that's it. You fail that death save, you're dead. And that was a rule that was, you know, a general consensus for everybody. And yeah, big, the rule bitch Susie. big bitch Susie. Yep. We made the rule the first person that dies. We had this character that we have been creating lore for every single session. It has. Yeah, she's a local NPC in the town. Yes. Who currently and... has a gun leg. And she lost lots of other things. We may have to talk about that later. Uh, <laughs> she's a topic yeah. all of her own. She's a topic all of her own. Yes. They, there you go. And we kind of just made this general consistency. That's not in the system. The rolling only have one, one death save. That's not in the rules for that module. It was one of those, we're in a deadly space. We feel like it should be a lot more deadly. So we and decided the, and it was something the party agreed on exactly and, you know and everybody has table rules everybody has things that when you go and sit down at their table it's a rule that they have that is there every single time it does not matter where they are at it is the dm's table it is the dm's rules so rules is written i think for spells should definitely be rules is written Like most of the, yes, spells should be rules as written because they are written that way for a reason. 
I could make the argument that sometimes you can add flair to them. I will. Like with the like with the Mage Hand situation, it doesn't add much and it's just fun. But that's a cantrip. It doesn't deal damage. See, that's true. That's the thing. But like if say a character says, well, it makes sense for my character's Eldritch Blast to not be force, but be fire. You know, I, I can see that being fine. Like, I don't see an issue with that. Or saying a certain spell that may cause, say, Radiant would cause Necrotic instead because of character backstory. Stuff like that, adding flair to it, I don't necessarily see the issue. But changing the way a spell works fundamentally, yes, I do agree that that, yeah, that part... Like, those... I think, though, I think that's, that's a little different. You're not fully changing the spell the only thing you're changing is the damage type you're not changing thunder wave it's a 15 foot cube you're not changing oh well it doesn't have to be connected to you you can place it anywhere yeah. at that point it becomes shatter yeah like it's like you're not changing the way that a spell fundamentally works you're only changing the damage changing type. flare you're, well, that's what i'm saying like yeah. i agree with you on the fun changing the fundamental parts yeah. of the spell, but adding flair is not in the same vein. Yeah, no. Adding flair is different. You don't... That's the, that's different. Flair is something that you can add to anything. And as long as it's not, like, a major change and it's not a majorly change anything, then I would say... It, I think it's good to have a mixture of both. I think that's my point on that. I think that is my stand, is a mixture of both. Kind of just depending on the table, the DM, and the players. It's just a mixture of both can be really good. I can agree with that. Erica, your topic is your turn. Yeah. So, the when I was thinking about this, the reason why Calic suggested it is because sometimes I take rules from other systems and I use them as homebrew rules in other systems. Does that make sense? So, for example, um, I recently started taking the idea of the push roll from Call of Cthulhu and using it in my game of other systems, like my DCC, Morkborg. Um, even, like, we did it with Max the Next Generation, but the only thing is you can't add anything to it. It's a straight dice roll. If you're not familiar with the push system of Call of Cthulhu, you roll a die. It's like a re-roll, right? So you roll whatever you're trying to do. Something epic happens if you succeed. If you fail, something extremely awful happens. Um, so that's something that I use as homebrew at my table. Uh, and another one is from Legend of the Five Rings system when we were at Gen Con. And I don't know if this is raw for that system. This is just how art. DM did it, and I really liked the way he used the NPC initiative order, and I stole it from him. So in initiative, what he would do is he'd always make the NPCs go last, and he would tell the group, your NPC can either attack, or they can do like a buff, or they can do a damage spell if they have spells. You know what I mean? Depending on your NPC, right? He would give the party options of the what they could do, and it was like the party role plays hey you know x person will say timmy hey timmy we want you to attack you know the cobalt in front of 
you know, in front of you. And so that NPC would run over and attack it. So that way there is more role play in combat as well. So I stole that. That's a homebrew rule. I use. Um, I've stolen that same one. I. It works well because that way me as the game master is not making the decisions for an NPC in the party. The party is. So they have mm-hmm. more of a connection with that NPC because they're interacting with them. Mm-hmm. Um, versus it's like, okay, well, now the DM goes, no, this is someone you control as well. It's another player character for the party as a collective to play. And that's, I like that. So one thing that I would like to use is um, re-roll when you're rolling your hit, uh, sorry, not your hit dice. Well, yeah, it is your hit dice and in most systems, right? So when you're leveling up, you re-roll ones. I think it's bullshit when you level up to get a hit point. Unless you're playing a deadly system and it's supposed to be that way, like DCC, Morkborg, some OSR, you know, swords and sorcery kind of thing, then I think it works for that. But if you're playing Pathfinder or 5e, then I, you know, I think re-rolling ones on hit dice are valid when leveling up. I also Rules have, is written. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, no, I, also have, no, keep going. I also have players re-roll ones on their initial stats. Um, they roll 4d6, and I have them re-roll any ones, because I just personally prefer that. You don't have to, just thought I would okay. add that in. As a homebrew role that I do. Okay, yeah, for sure. Um, I've never done that. How how do you feel like that makes the PCs more powerful? It can. It can also stop them from having, say, three negative stats in one character. Because I have actually seen that happen. Yeah. I've played a character with three negative stats before. And it was one of the funnest characters I've ever played. I'm not going to lie, because she was terrible at everything. But some players don't like having negatives on three of their major things that they're going to be doing. And so me as a DM, I'm like, re-roll a one. And that one may become a two and still not matter, because you're still going to drop the lowest one. But I feel like re-rolling ones sometimes gives them a better chance at decent stats. I also, if I'm running homebrew, which is typically what I'm going to run, I'm probably going to have a homebrew monster that's probably going to be too much to deal with if you have really bad stats. Um, The first boss in one of my homebrew games literally had a Banshee Screech and had uh, Meat Grinder rules within 150 feet of it. And for those who don't know, yeah. meat grinder means your DC for your death save is 15. And a banshee screech drops you to zero if you fail a wisdom saving throw. At least I'm pretty Rough sure times. it's wisdom. At me in the comments if I'm wrong. I'm pretty I'm pretty sure it was a wisdom. I think that's right. Yeah. I think it's wisdom. I think that's right, yeah. Um the point ball. is I'm no- I'm notorious for making hard bosses, so I try to make more powerful characters. That makes sense. Yeah. I think raw. Um, so I, I think raw is the DM's call, right? So Gary Gygax is known to, to say the secret we should never let the game masters know is that they don't need any rules at all. So 
Like, I think the game master should set how raw their table's going to be, and they should set those expectations. Session one, um, I I agree with rule of cool. If, you know, you have to break raw to make an epic moment, then do it, because it's it's an epic moment, and players are going to remember that. You know, they'll tell stories about it. Don't let a rule hold you back. Now, there there is one rule that I am raw about, is that natural 20s do not apply on anything that is an ability check. It doesn't apply. It is to hit. That is it. And that is a that is a raw rule. I will not. I will not. I don't do natural. I got natural twenty on my deception. Cool. Doesn't matter. Like you got a twenty, but it's not a natural twenty. There is no natural twenty for that. It's to hit. That's it. That's where I'm different from you because I will add a bonus. It's not an automatic success, but I'll add like a plus five. That's what I'm saying. And that I won't do that success. I won't do that, um, just because like na- the natural twenty thing, right? Is it supersedes those things like deception and pers- I mean, it it supersedes all that. And the way that it came up in natural twenty is it's supposed to be this thing that only happens, you know, on attacks. And it was an epic moment. But if you can do it now on you can do it on spells, and you can do it, or not spells, I'm sorry. If you can do it on, you know, saving throws, and you can do it on on ability checks, then, to me, it feels a little less epic. Because it's, it's um, you know, you get something every day. You value it as much. That's a fair point. That's why but, I say um, it's, not an, it's definitely not an automatic success. It should never be an automatic yeah. success for skill checks. But a lot of people nowadays, when it's it says, oh, it's a natural 20, a lot of people, it doesn't matter. They look at a natural 20 as that automatic success. And they and the, you look at a DM, they're like, but I got a natural 20. I, I succeed no matter what. And And that's not really the case. And I think that, I don't know if that's from like, Streaming culture or YouTube culture when people I, are playing and it's a misunderstanding. I think it's from streaming culture. Yeah. It's other games they've played in. And the DM counted it as for everything. Or maybe it just yeah, and I mean, and that's, or maybe it just succeeded and it didn't even have to be a natural 20, it just succeeded and just always yeah. did. Because I mean, I feel like, especially at the early levels, nine times out of ten, if you get a 20 on the dice, you probably succeeded anyway. Yeah. At low levels especially. Because in my experience, most low levels are, like, DC 15 at the most. And I'm talking, like, level 1 to 5, 5e. Yeah. That's that's been my experience. And then when you get above level 5 is when you start hitting, like, DC 20 and and things like that. But you're not going to hit, like, DC... 30 or 40 like level one so natural 20 tends to just make you succeed and that could possibly be where people get the assumption that it's just an it's an automatic success when it's not 
Yeah. I even, even though it's That's rules true. written for, for my current campaign, I even made sure to put that in my homebrew rules on our Discord. Natural 20 is not an automatic success. You just get a bonus and may have a better chance of succeeding. So do you, so when you say that, just to clarify, you mean on ability checks and saving throws, or do you mean on to hit as well? No, I mean just on ability checks and saving throws. I specify that a natural 20 is a critical only on attack rolls. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Yeah, Yeah, because another great thing I will say, if you are doing homebrew, lay it out for your players from the get-go. For me, I made a whole list and I posted it to the Discord that my group is a part of, and they have it for their reference on every last thing I'm using for homebrew, and that's homebrew classes, homebrew races, homebrew mechanics, everything. They have access to it, so they know that I'm not an adversarial DM and trying to tell them something that's not what I'm trying to do, because it's plainly written. Yeah, I agree with that. I think I think as the, you know, when you're running, or even as a player, that's something that needs to be talked about if you do like a session zero or even before session zero, just that way you know what you're expecting of each other. And that way you can be like, oh, that didn't really, the like, that doesn't really work with what I enjoy rules-wise. And maybe you line up or maybe you don't. And that way you kind of know before you get in too deep. Yeah. Because you also have DMs that play hardcore mode where you only regain one hit point with a long rest. You have to eat. You have to sleep. You have to keep track of ammo. And some DMs that don't do all that. And both styles are fine. But if the players are expecting one and they're getting the other, then it's not going to be fun for the DM or the players. Because it's going to be this constant back and forth about it. At least if there's not a prior understanding. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Well, um, yeah, I think that's, I mean, Sparks, do you have anything that you want to say about it all? I already said my things. I know, I'm just saying, like, I, I don't have anything oh. else to say. I'm oh, making, no, I, I was going to go through you and, and Fox to make sure everybody kind of got what they wanted to say out of oh. it before we move on to your the next one. No, I don't have anything else. Okay. Fox, do you have anything one, to say? I have one more thing. And at, at me, if you hate me for this, rules is written, healing potions, action, friggin' hate that rule. At my table, you get one as a free action. One. Anything beyond the one is an action. I hate the rule that they are an action. I hate it. Not even a bonus action? Gosh. So no. tough. Well, so I think the, so. Like for five e, I played at a table where the DM says that they're a free action. They're made of sugar glass, and you can either smash them on your face, or you can throw them and and they will explode when they hit the person that you're like trying to heal across the battlefield. But you have to roll to hit them with the potion. See, this is how I'm picturing a potion. Right here. This is the potion. Yeah. I just healed myself. Well, but the thing is... That didn't take six seconds. 
So a rules lawyer, right? They're going to be like, oh, but you have to reach in your bag. You have to find it if you're in a backpack, blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? They're going to rules lawyer all of the process, right? So, it's like so a backfinder. Here's, here's my argument. In action to, here's my to argument. get out a weapon to, or to switch your weapon, right? To, hey, to bring I do it out. That as, That's an action. I do that as a free action, too. Because my assumption For Pathfinder? Is no, not Pathfinder. I'm talking... I don't have experience with other systems. I'm talking about 5e. Um, that's supposed to be an action as well. I don't follow that unless you're being ambushed. If you're being ambushed, then yes, it's going to take you time to get your things out. But otherwise, I'm making the assumption that you have prepared for this encounter. You have your weapon at the ready. You have the potion tied to your belt, ready to go. Those are the assumptions that I'm going to make as the DM. Because realistically, if if I was getting ready for a fight, my weapon's not going to be on my back. It's going to be in my hand. I'm going to have things yeah. that can heal me ready to yeah. go. I mean, just like video games. You prepare your inventory in video games. Why would you not prepare it if you're going into a fight? That's my thought. And that's why I, number one, make the weapon swapping not an action and make potions not an action. So that was my piece. My little uh, soapbox. I'll get down off the soapbox now. Soapbox is is soapbox uh, is over. no longer occupied. It's no longer occupied. All right, Sparks, get on your soapbox. Go with your topic. <laughs> My topic is swapping systems. When is how do you approach swapping systems with your group? How how do you think groups usually take swapping systems? And anything else you can kind of think on it. So do either one of you want to go first or do you want me to go first? I mean, you can go first. Okay. So with swapping systems, I... I'm always a fan of trying out new systems. I will try them once and I will decide if I like them or not. And just because I try something, I may not in like it and like it enough to be like, this is what I always want to play. I will normally play it again. So I am pro swapping systems. You should try out as many systems as you can. Uh, Call of Cthulhu is great. We played this. Yeah, boohoo. Boohoo, Fox. Boohoo, <laughs> you can deal with it. But for all of us horror fans, Call of Cthulhu is great. I love horror, and it was more of your... It's your quintessential horror system. Vampire is fun. Not been able to actually play in a game of vampire. Ran a game of vampire. It was okay. It went well for the players, and I was over there like, I don't know all of the rules, so we'll go as we make it up as we go. <laughs> Um, played the Cypher system at Gen Con last year. It was a lot of fun. Played Monster of the Week. It was fun. Played Monster Hearts, which I've already played. There are so many systems out there to try and to play that you can have so much fun with because it's something different. And I feel like a lot of groups give a lot of pushback when it comes to wanting to swap systems because it's something new. You're gonna, it's gonna be more complicated to learn a new system. I'm sorry. And now here's the soapbox. 
you can drag me in the comments if you want to. 5e and Pathfinder are the two most complicated systems you can play in, and you cannot convince me otherwise. It took me a year to learn all of 5e, to try to learn all of 5e, and I'm still learning things every day. It took me a day, not even a day, an hour to learn how to play Monster Heart, Monster of the Week. Call of Cthulhu was a little bit longer, but it was there. The Cypher system, learned it in 30 minutes. Learning a new system just takes... Most of those, you learn the rules when you make your character. Especially like the Powered by the Apocalypse systems, which is your Monster Heart, your Monster of the Week. Kids on bikes, kids on brooms. Those D6 systems. You learn the rules while you're making your character. Because it is usually on a little sheet that is with your character. <laughs> and it's a page. It's not 30 books that has 20 different rulings for one thing in it. So... I uh, honestly, and that's what it is. That's what it comes down to is they don't want to learn something new because they feel like it's going to be a lot more complicated than what they're playing in now because they've played it for so long. They're like, oh, it's not that complicated, but you get somebody new that's never played before. And the 5e is complicated for them. But then you get them to play something that's a lot simpler, like DCC, like Monster of the Week, Mask. Mm. DCC is a little bit simpler. You have one or two things you can do and then you're done if you don't play a spellcaster. That's when you're low level. That is true. But once you get to about six level, you have more options. Well, you got to think I've never played to that oh, level. Uh, yeah, but how often I, I'm, I'm just saying level there. Well, I'm right now running a seventh level um, game because uh, Crypt of the Devil Lich came out. And so we're running through that right now. But and did you boost them up to that level or did they get there on their own? I boosted them through levels. Okay. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. like that that's what but, I'm saying. I mean, how many times in how many times in 5e did you start at third level or fifth? So there's no difference. That's true. But that's it's fair. also it's that's when fair. when you're like just going to start playing, it's a lot simpler. Yeah, I mean when we played Yes. I'd never played before. I'd never read anything about it, never watched anything about it, and I feel like I picked it up like that. Yeah, it's it was a lot... so simple and so easy. Early on, it's a yeah. lot simpler. So I think I think that's what it comes down to is that but pushback I am, from groups. But I am just going to make the comment that starting out at level one in every system I've played so far <clears throat> has not been terrible because you don't have much. Yeah, it's awful. I mean, it's awful for the player to start at level one, but you also it's not as complicated because you don't have like starting at level one versus level five in any system is going to be vastly more complicated to learn because you have more things that you can do that you have to keep track of. Honestly, I think what makes it complicated is the character building for new players. Yeah, yeah, that that is fair. I think that's what it is in 5e. And probably Pathfinder is the character creation. If you that do is, not use D&D Beyond. 
As somebody who's played Pathfinder 2nd Edition, I think the conditions... It wasn't the character building that threw me off in Pathfinder, it was the conditions is what I found I found the most difficult. Because there is so many of them, and they affect so many of your roles. And trying to keep up with, okay, well, how long am I under this condition versus that condition um, is what bothered me. Yeah. Well, that's my soapbox on swapping systems. Who would like to go next? Erica, go. You want me to go? Okay, I'll go. Um, so swapping systems. Uh, first off, money. Uh, I think money is a factor. If you have invested, like say for our group, we are most most of the people who play in our group only play five E. Uh, in a, when I say mostly fi- play only in five E groups, they don't play in other groups. They play other systems, right? So they've invested a lot of money in 5e, whether that's digitally or physically. So that's a lot of it's you know to walk away from, right? To buy into a new system. Well, we're buying into a new system. How much money is it for me to buy in, right? For somebody who lives in a limited income, you don't have the money. This is, is your hobby. It can be as expensive as you want it to be, or as cheap as you want it to be. Right, you can buy one set of dice and roll them suckers for decades. I know. I met a guy who bought dice in the seventies. He still got them. He still rolls them. He rolls them at DCC table with me. Right? Nowadays, you don't even um, have to buy dice. You just download right? the free the free dice apps. Yep. And 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 so and that's and that's you know money's a factor when swip, when swapping systems. Right? For some people, it's not a factor. For others, um, I think. Duration is also a discussion when you swap systems. Oh my god! When you, I can't say swap systems, that's really fucking with me. A duration is an issue you need to discuss when you're swapping systems because, like, it's like, okay, well, I'm buying into Pathfinder. We'll walk away from all my Watsy stuff. You know, I'm gonna drop another two, three hundred dollars. We're playing this for five years. You know, that's a discussion I think you should have if you're going to drop some major money. And also, most of the time, let's be honest, the Game Master is the one that's dropping the money on books and modules and stuff. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. you know, be considerate of your Game Master and their time and money. Um, content for said system. If you're a Game Master and you're like, I don't like to write my own modules and I don't, I don't like to homebrew shit and I don't want to come up with stuff going into a system that has no pre-made modules for you to buy and run, don't do it. Yeah. Like, like mass, the next generation, they got a little bit. It's not much. They give you a little bit in the book, but, um, unless you're willing to steal from comic book storylines, there's not a lot out there for you to, to use. Right. So that's another consideration. Um, Dice is another one. The Star Wars RPG that I played at Gary Con. I there's like I think there's three out. But if you've played this, you know what I'm talking about. The one that has a special die, right? It has your light dice and your your dark side dice and your hazard dice, right? You can't find those dice at all. They don't make them anymore. And well, they are supposed to be making them. So if you're listening to this and they've made them now. Then at the time I was doing at, at GaryCon 2023, 
they couldn't find the dice. I know this because I played in that game. And the guys who were sitting at my table were all talking about how they've been trying to get dice for this system for, like, close to a year or more. And they can't find them. If they want to pay for them, they're overpriced online. So keep that in mind. Make sure there's dice for the system accessible for your players. Um, and also, like, cross-gaming is an issue. I have a problem with it because I run right now three different systems. And so I sometimes my Mork board bleeds into my mask and my mask bleeds into my DCC and vice versa. So if you're a game master, that's something to consider. Cross-gaming will happen to you. Unless you get, like, a bomb-ass memory, um, which I don't. Um, yeah, that's about all I have to say about it. What do y'all think? Yeah, I I agree with both of y'all. It can be very difficult to get somebody to swap systems. And it can be difficult to get anybody to want to drop money on it. Because almost any system, and I say almost because there are some that have free resources out there for everything except the dice, which again, there is a free app that you can get for your cell phone and you don't have to pay a dime for it. It doesn't have some of the fancier dice on it, but it's got all your basic things that you would need for, say, Pathfinder, 5e, and most other systems. I say most because then you've got some with the weird dice. But those are things to take into consideration. And I think part of it, too, is we get comfortable with one thing. Like, for example, our group in 5e right now. We originally said in our group that we were going to swap systems. And that was our intent. And then we ended up playing 5e for, what, two two years after? Something like that? Three. 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 Four. No, because we we split off, yeah, 2019. We split off before COVID. Yep. So, like, three and a half years. Yeah. 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 So, and part of it, I think, was because everybody who who was willing to run was like, well, I know 5e, and and poor Erica's case got thrown on her at the last minute that she was going to be running for over a year. It worked out. Yeah, it did. It was a super fun campaign. But still, that's the point. Like, you're not going to think of going to a new system when, oh, crap, I have to run a game. I need to figure it out in a week. You're probably not going to want to learn a new system when you're having to do that. But, like, also, if you warm your group up to it, it might be easier. Like, that's what we've done currently because we've already talked about it with the situation going on with uh, our wonderful friends at Watsi um, and everything else. And plus just a general wanting to try different things. We've talked about trying different systems and our group is well aware that that's the plan. We're just trying to decide who's going to run and what we're going to run. And I feel like if you warn, warm your group up to it, they may be more receptive later because we've repeated it a few times. Like, Hey, we're, we're not doing five E anymore after this current campaign. We're going to something else. Yeah. Something different. Yeah. But it's it's just an odd thing. And then you might play a system and you might hate it. All of Cthulhu. <laughs> I, I made it fun. I 
dislike Call of Cthulhu with a lot of my being. I'm that person, I don't like feeling powerless. I feel powerless enough in my real life. I don't want to feel that in a game where I go to escape. It's valid. So, playing Call of Cthulhu, where it doesn't feel like you win or you're doing really anything, it just feels like you're surviving. Which is the, the intent of the game. That is the intent of the game. I'm not downing the game. It's just not for me personally. Yeah, and, and that's makes okay. Sense. And that's fine. Yeah, but oddly enough, I loved DCC when I played. And it's basically the same premise. You don't win, you survive. Yes. Uh, it's because you could. I have a couple more. things I want to say when we wrap <laughs> up. Is uh, uh, is there anything you want to say before we wrap up, Sparks, about this, or do you do you care if I go and then you wrap it up? No, go ahead. It's your topic. Okay. Um, just stuff that I thought about. While, uh, Fox was was talking. Um, two two reasons, in my opinion, to switch systems or at least. If you go to cons, try other systems, is because it makes you better. It makes you better as a player. It makes you better as running game. If you're like me and you're trying to work in this industry, um, you're going to limit yourself, pigeonhole yourself into one system, and there's so much you can learn and make the stuff that you either make or you run at table or how you play better, right? It's kind of like um, I used to play sports, right? My coach would tell me, you don't play against people at your level because that's not going to make you better. You play, you play with people who are better than you because that will make you better, right? New experiences, you're not playing with the same people you know all the time, the same rules. You challenge yourself, and that's what cons are great for. They challenge you. They get you out of your comfort zone. You play with different people at table. You play with different DMs at table. So just something to consider. Um, The last thing is if you're considering switching systems, make sure that you switch to a system, especially if you're like, you know, when you're talking about it, think about the table you sit at and the people who are at it. And if this is your normal group, what kind of table is it? Are y'all role players? Are you are you kicking the door kind of people? You like I don't want to call it murder hobos, but are you more like a dungeon crawler kind of group? Or are you a good mix of both? You know, the system you switch to, if you want something that challenges you, then maybe do one that focuses on just one of those things. Or if you want something that is a little less challenging, a little less scary, and it feels a little bit more what you're used to, then try and choose a system that is similar to the one you know, but maybe it's just a little different, right? There's just a couple differences in it versus a completely and totally different uh, gameplay mechanics. And that's all I have to say. Yeah. Some really good opinions on swapping systems. Foxfire, do you have anything else to say? I saw your mouth quiver a little bit. Yeah, I just I just want to add to what Erica said about playing other systems. It's really great, too, because maybe you do play these other systems, and then you come back to, say, 5e or Pathfinder or whatever system that you were playing. Maybe you come back with some new ideas. Like we were talking about earlier with the mechanics from Legend of the Five Rings and Call of Cthulhu that we've now implemented in 5e. So, something to consider that you may find something that you like better. So don't be afraid to try it. Yeah. 
All right. Does anybody have anything else to say on this topic before we close out this discussion? No. No. All right. Well, thank you for joining us at our roundtable discussion this week. We talked about homebrew versus module, homebrew rules and rules as written, and swapping systems. So I feel like we had a good like cohesion today with our topics. I feel like it was all very much I feel like it all together. flowed really well. Yeah. So, all right. Well, check us out next time uh, on the next episode. When we return for a new adventure. Bye. Bye. Hey, travelers. Thank you so much for watching this episode of Dyson Dish. We really hope that you enjoyed it. Make sure to leave a like, uh, follow, and subscribe. Those are the two same things, but you know what? I said it anyways. Um, our next episode will be coming out August 25th at 12 p.m. CST. So we hope to see you there again. Thank you so much for watching. Bye.